Hello and welcome to Spy Hard's podcast where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies and this week we're here with a declassified special. I'm Agent Scott and joining me is not Cam. I can uh, allay your fears. Cam isn't here this week. Uh, instead, I've got a much, much better substitute. It is Mr. George Aldridge from the Cinema Savvy YouTube channel where we've been on several times ourselves. George, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. I thought it was going to be called Not Cam then. I will take that for an episode as a testament to his incredible uh, speaking opportunities on Cam. Uh, well, yeah, you could also be Not Cam. I'll take that. But uh, I, I think well, you've earned George. You know, you, you've earned it. Um, now, we've been on your show a number of times already talking about Bond films. And Cam's appeared a couple of times talking about some Spielberg films as well, I believe. Yes. Uh, he joined me on Jaws, helped me confront a long-time fear, and uh, saved us by being the only the human I know that's seen the film always. Um, so, massive shout-out to Cam for that, too. Well done to Cam. Um, we'll have a little link in the show notes below to the Cinema Savvy channel, but definitely head over there and give him a, give him a subscribe. But... Um, we're not talking about Jaws this week. We're not talking about Steven Spielberg, but we are talking about a spy movie. Now, this is a declassified special, and what happens on this show is we give you the fresh take on a film that has just come out. And the film we are talking about, the day of release, is actually coming out directly onto Netflix. The film is The Grey Man. Now, for those who don't know, The Grey Man is directed by the Russo brothers, who I think most famously did the Avengers Endgame Infinity War double bill. Yeah, and uh, Civil War, and I believe You, Me and Dupree, and a few of the random comedies along the way. Who could forget You, Me and Dupree? <laughs> I, I clearly did, because I have no idea what it is, but... Uh... Yeah, but The, the Grey Man is the, the spy film that Netflix has been promoting for a while now. There was... A couple of trailers. It wasn't that heavy on promotion. It was. Um, I quite liked that actually. I don't really know what I was getting going into it. Yeah, I, I'm in a similar boat. I had seen nothing for this. I, I'm in a bit of a lull with Netflix, where you know, I, I mean, I really enjoy some of their shows, some of their films. But at the same time, it's sort of barraged with so many forgettable films. Films that oh look, we do one film a week, and after a week, no one cares. And The Grey Man was an interesting one, and. The trailer came out. Uh, I know we spoke about it a few months ago on chat, and I hadn't seen it. And obviously, Netflix films don't get shown at the cinemas, the trailers, either. So I went into this film knowing absolutely nothing, bar the cast, uh, the directors, uh, and, and the main poster and uh, Chris Evans' moustache. Yeah, and, and a fierce moustache it is, I have to say. I, I am impressed by his villainy, which we'll get to in a second. Now, um, for those who don't know... With the declassified episodes, what we're going to do is have a no, a non-spoiler chat, as it were, about the film, and then with a little bit of spoilers at the end. But we're not going to dig into the knock list or anything like that. None of the behind the scenes, particularly. That's for our full review. We'll have Cam on the show, maybe a couple of years down down the road. Um, he and one of the reasons why I have George joining me today is because George, for Cinema Savvy, and myself for Spy Hards were invited by Netflix to the Soho Hotel in London to watch a press screening of the film uh, a little bit early. Yeah, it was quite incredible. Getting into London for 10am uh, is not normally the easiest of achievements, <laughs> but I, you know, as I said, I didn't know much about the film heading in, and I like the cast, and I don't mind the directors, and I thought, let's give this a go, and... You know, I'm not going to lie, the Soho Hotel was stunning, and it felt like I'd walked into Palace. I, I felt underdressed. 
but at the same time, it's like I get to see a great film early in a probably the comfiest chair I've ever watched a film in. I want to add to. There were some very comfy chairs with some uh, some faux like leopard print and stuff like that. I felt very fancy, uh, far fancier I feel when Cam is here. <laughs> he, he he just uh, he straps me to Le Chiffre's chair most of the time when uh, we were talking about spy films, and he, he even cuts the hole in the bottom. To the to the left is it to the left? <laughs> now, for those of you who have not seen, because we said there's not been that many trailers, not that much publicity for The Grey Man, it will probably be in your face right now on Netflix. It's a new Netflix film, and I'm sure it'll be on the main page at this point in time. But here is your letterbox.com synopsis. The Grey Man. When the CIA's most skilled mercenary known as Court Gentry, a.k.a. Sierra Six, accidentally uncovers dark agency secrets. He becomes a primary target and is hunted around the world by psychopathic former colleague Lloyd Hansen and international assassins. It's a, it was a bit windy, that one, wasn't it? I don't know. It's a longer one. Uh, I mean... Do you remember him ever being called Court Gentry? No, I don't remember... Sorry, not that I've forgotten this. Not, sorry, it was quite long for Letterboxd standard. Did, did they say colleagues as well? Um... It's uh yeah, former colleagues Lloyd Hansen. I mean, I've just got to say that the, the name Lloyd. I mean, I'm a big fan of Dumb and Dumber to bring up another comedy. So, <laughs> anytime I see a character called Lloyd on screen, I'm, I'm not. You know, I didn't expect to get Chris Evans playing a Lloyd, and uh, yeah, I don't know about that. Sometimes that seems to give. I mean, not quite a lot. I know there's so many films of that regard where you know. I mean, let's just talk about the last few Bond films. If you want to put like that, oh, disavowed Mission Impossible, Bond, you're on your own now, and. It's a done a dust Detroit, but I'm just going to be polite. I think heading into it knowing nothing was probably a lot better than reading that in advance. Yeah, I think so. I Because I, I don't know. I haven't done very much research. That's generally Cam's thing. But if this is based off of some sort of source material... Yes. I feel like it might have been a comic book or a novel or something like that at some point. There's a series of novels. Um, I don't know how many there are, but I can tell you there's, from what somebody read out earlier, at least like six plus um i don't know if it's okay. a series uh oh, is it jack reacher where there's loads of them and they picked certain ones for the films i don't know if it's similar in that regard but potentially it happens a lot yeah potentially it's a, it, it's a franchise and this is i guess worth adding netflix's most expensive film ever made with a budget of 200 mil which surprised me I did not know that. um when i first found that i thought they must have done something more expensive <laughs> Are you talking about a certain scene, George? <laughs> a certain, a certain falling from the sky moment. There is one. I mean, I don't know if you saw the not, not to go off point, but they did Red Notice last year, which is one of the worst action films I've ever seen, and that was at that point their most expensive film. So I don't know if they do this every year in the same way that every year, oh, we've had our most views ever, and they won't tell you what the number is. It's a very. It's just one pound more each year, but they can say it costs more. Cheeky bastards. Yeah. I mean, with inflation, with inflation as well, you know. Well, what can you do? Cost, you know, there's a crisis at the moment. Cost of living's going up. What can you do except make films like this? Um, I never saw Red Notice, although it did. You know, it was directed by a former guest of the show, Rawson Marshall Ferber. Um, maybe I'll get around to watching it, but I didn't hear many good things. No, it's um, it's got the rock in the jungle again. So you know, but that that does actually bring me to an interesting point about, I suppose, before we get to our thoughts on the film, and that's Netflix. You know, we were graciously allowed to see this film early by Netflix, and we're thankful to our Netflix overlords for that. But 
they haven't been putting that much in terms of good content out for a while now. No, especially on the film side of things. I'm, I was speaking earlier. I can't remember if yourself or, or Tate who was there as well. And I, I was trying to think, what was the last Netflix film I saw at a cinema? Now, obviously, we're invited to an early screening, you know, which is a luxury. Obviously, we know that Netflix don't get on with the chains. You're not going to get these released. I think Showcase for any UK folk is the biggest chain that has them. And there'll be like 15, 20 of Showcases, if that. It's yeah. it's a weird one because this is their most expensive film ever. And when they said, you know, when I inquired about any potential screeners or screenings, normally it's like, yeah, we'll add it to your account and you can watch it online. But this was, oh, no, we're going to do these in person. I'm actually quite, although I sort of mocked them, I'm quite grateful for that because without getting too much into the Netflix model, it's essential that they move into, I think, cinema releases that, you know, not to get into the, the current politics of Netflix's subscriber losses, financial losses, all that sort of stuff. They need money and releasing films at cinemas going to help get some at least versus them going online. I mean, at the time it's really going to go, it is online. It would have been in select cinemas for a week, which just isn't enough because it's the casual viewer going to say, I, I must see this, travel my distance, not go to a, you know, not go to a chain, watch it in indie cinema, or do I wait a week and watch it in the comfort of my own home? And that's the big question I have for a lot of Netflix films. The, the last one you, you got me thinking about, the last one I think I traveled to a cinema to see instead of being on Netflix was The Northman. Oh, sorry, um, The Irishman. The Northman. Yes, I think it's the same now I'm just trying. I, I'm just picturing Al Pacino <laughs> killing a man with an axe while screaming for three hours. And and I remember seeing... I'd watch that. I watched that. I watched that at a cinema and it was completely sold out. They showed it like a handful of times and it was a three-hour mm-hmm. film. Um, it's a bit cheating to say I saw the power of the dog at the cinema because that was a you know that was part of a, a film festival, so I sort of don't count that. But yeah, I, I think yeah, Irishman's the same here, and I'd imagine that's probably the highest grossing film if it grossed anything at a box office. And you know, a film like that should be seen by the masses, and maybe the the length is a put off for some. But I I think there's there's certainly a conversation for Netflix to have, and without sort of jumping to my initial thoughts on this, it sounds. I mean, this is a film that. I think would financially do all right if it didn't have a Netflix release date. I think if this was, you know, we've got a very quiet blockbuster summer this year, nothing coming out post Thor, if I'm being honest. I think this would have done well at the cinema. Uh, it had just been left playing for a summer, and that's the sort of integral question to how they move forward. Well, that uh, this probably, I was going to bring this up as part of the review section, but you've kind of led into it beautifully. The cast of this film, if you're not aware with it, I'll, I'll read you the top sort of eight people on IMDb. Uh, top six, actually, is probably the best way. Anna de Armas, Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, Jessica Henwick, Reggie Jean Page, and Billy Bob Thornton. That's a that's an all-star lineup. Yeah, I and I only knew three of them that were going to be in this. Um, when when Who surprised you the most? Billy Bob Thornton. Um, <laughs> he's an actor I've not seen many films from, but every time I've seen them, I've quite enjoyed him in, in stuff, and you know, when he when he is in this film, I quite like him, and I've not seen his Christmas film, but he's got a fantastic beard in this. It's almost Santa Claus esque. I know was it Bad Santa he did many years ago. Um, yes, yes. And Jessica Henwick surprised me as well because I, I'm a fan of her work, and you know, again, these are actors in this that I think have enough gravitas to carry this at a box office, and not to sort of joke about salaries and whatnot, but. It's a very good cast, and even the directors in themselves. It's top notch. You know, the, yeah. the Russo brothers have. You know, created some of the highest-grossing films ever made in history, and mm-hmm. you know I, people forget that. Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen Cherry uh, on Apple. I, I, I personally, I I wasn't a fan. 
but for them to go... I have not. Tom Holland? Yeah, yeah, it is that one. And uh, after that, they I don't want to say it went to their roots, because ultimately their roots is comedy. You know, they did a lot of rest development, community. Community. Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously some of the films I mentioned earlier. And going back into the action genre, spy-esque to a point, you know, post The Winter Soldier, Chris Evans in it, I was kind of, not nervous, but I thought, okay, if, if they can get this right, without sounding horrid, they, they're going to have a career post-Marvel. Because I feel if this didn't work out, this would be, these guys are going to either go back to Marvel or they're just not going to get high-budget films anymore. Yeah. And it's interesting as well, casting all these people, because a lot of them have connections to each other. I mean, you look at Anna de Armas and Ryan Gosling, we're in uh, Blade Runner yeah. together. A re- reprisal of that. Chris Evans has reunited with his mustache from Knives Out. Chris Evans and Anna Dumas in Knives Out as well. Of course. I mean, I was more happy to see him and his mustache <laughs> back together again. But yes, of course, that that's a nice pairing too. Um, and, you know, Reggie Jean Page has been someone they've been talking about being Bond for about two years now. So to see him in a spy film... Well, I suppose this is a taster, really, for what might come. Yeah. Now, I've not seen Bridgerton, uh, and my my knowledge of his work is so limited. So, again, I didn't know he was in this film, and it took me a couple of scenes of like, is that the guy from Bridgerton? Everyone keeps saying they want to be Bond, and suddenly I just I yeah. sort of studied him for whenever he popped up. It was like, could he be James Bond? Sort of umming and to myself, and it you know it surprised me. I'd imagine for the Russo brothers, when it came to casting, they probably not not just saw the Bond rumors, but they probably saw him in Bridge and thought, "This is someone we want in our film." And you know, he's definitely one of those up and coming actors, in air quotes, as it were. He's someone who is on the rise. Yes, and I don't know if you saw the Audi adverts at the cinemas last year, the the car chain, not the supermarket. Yes, and it, that was to me that was like his almost Bond audition. And in this car, I think they they've got loads of Audis, and I was like, "Oh, are they going to have him drive the car really cheesily?" you know, to, to look to the camera. And... Mugging at the camera. And, yeah, they yeah. didn't, thankfully. But it was interesting seeing him um, because, again, I've got very limited knowledge of his work and I think he's in a few things coming out and, you know, he's obviously getting a lot of work at the moment and it will be interesting to see, you know, if anything comes of those rumours. Uh, you know, we, we don't know what the future has. We don't. And, you know, Anna Diarmas was just, you know, a breath of fresh air in the most recent Bond film, yeah. of course, as well. Uh, I was worried going into this. You know, we only had so we we had a tiny bit of Anna Diarmas in No Time to Die, and we all wanted more. And you get a lot more in this film. And I, in terms of an audition for her upcoming role in the John Wick spin-off, uh, not to spoil what I think, which we're going to segue into a second, but I think uh, we're in for a good a good ride. I hope so. I'm I'm a big fan of her work. I loved her in, in No Time to Die. I'm actually going to jump in. It's not a criticism per se, but because I've seen her in No Time to Die, I felt not disappointed per se. I was like, oh, can you just imagine if she'd have played the same character but in this universe? Because... Like some, some connective tissue. Yeah, I, I know it's really silly and, and whatnot, but I enjoyed her in this, but I, I thought, okay, as you said, maybe for the ballerina, for when the John Wick film comes out, we'll get a lot more of that, but she's holding her own, and I, I think the actors she's with, you know, they're, they're big names in, in Gosling and Chris Evans, and you know, she's held her in against Daniel Craig. Maybe even bettered him in that scene. Others will also add. And I, I do like seeing her. I know she's done a lot of dramas. She's going to be playing Marilyn Monroe later this year, which is going to be a very interesting. Trailer film. looks phenomenal. Yes, and if anyone's read into a, a bit of that film, um, 
I'm not going to say anything, but it's not going to be a typical biopic from everything that's uh, come out about it too. Right. Okay. Well, we've teased it, George. Uh, we've been talking for 15 minutes, but we haven't said what we thought of the Grey Man. So let's rectify that. You're the guest, so you go first. You know, non-spoilers at this point. Just talk about the overall thoughts. The Grey Man. What did you think? I really enjoyed it. I, as I said, I came into it blind, which I think helps massively because sometimes you never know. I haven't actually seen the trailer. I should have watched it in advance before this video. Actually, a great trailer can increase expectation. Terrible trailer can make you go and deflated, but knowing nothing left me quite ambiguous and the film started and I just I had a smile on my face throughout the film. It's I don't know if it's sort of current circumstances of where there was heading, I was like, it's nice to get an action blockbuster that I mean, I don't want to say it's not setting up a, a you know, a dozen films or whatnot. This is a series of books. But at the same time, as like we haven't had Ryan Gosling in a film for four years. And I'm a really I'm really, really like Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans is having the time of his life and I had so much fun with the characters. And I think where the Russo brothers come into it, they know how to do when I say action, I I mean hand to hand combat, gunfighting. There's some issues I have with the film. But I think overall I had a lot of fun with it. It's got its issues, but I, I think it's gonna be enjoyable for most. Yeah, I, I don't think I can disagree with you there. We briefly spoke. We I should say we briefly spoke about it. We came out of the film earlier today. We we're recording it the same day we saw the film, um, and I I basically sat through it just having a nice time. I'm not saying this film is some sort of deep character exploration of what it's like to be a spy. It's not some sort of Cold War espionage story. It is a spy action film. This is basically Bond without the Bond accoutrement. It is, it's, it's exactly that. It's a Mission Impossible Bond-esque adventure spy film. And so if you're going in with that sort of expectation, or that's what you're looking for, that particular you know, afternoon you click play on Netflix when this is up and live, you are in for a very good time, I would say. It, I don't, th there's a couple of moments, much like George, I think I would look back now and I think, could I have done that? Would I have done that better? Maybe. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think there's a, a bad performance particularly that I could point at. No, I mean this... I think it's just fun. Fun is my top line. It, I wrote down, it's the first word, fun. Yeah, and it's that over-the-top cliche where some people will pop in for a couple of minutes and they're so ridiculous. They're so, you know, I'm trying to think of the right word. There's a there's a character played by a, a Wagner Mora who, you know, when people get the chance to see it, they'll know. And it, it's, it's those cliched characters that belong in these kind of films. You know, maybe there's somebody in this film that you think might double-cross somebody. Maybe there's someone that's not. Maybe there's a noble character. And everyone sort of serves their purpose in the correct way. And at no point I ever felt like, oh, I'm seeing this character too much or I'm bored of this action set piece. Most of them are fine. Uh, it's a bit of a, a jump. But there's, you know, if I'm going to be blunt, the only things I have issues with, and if you've seen the, the Russo Brothers' Marvel films, you'll know this. Um, let's go to a new city. Okay, giant texts. And words on screen. It reached words a point in this where people started laughing in that screening. There wasn't many people there. It was a very small venue, which was quite nice and intricate. But I, I don't know how many cities they go to in total. Maybe like fourteen or fifteen. And it, it felt like are the Russo brothers in on this joke that people laughed at it back in the Marvel days? Like you remember in Infinity War, like the like space in giant words. <laughs> And I thought, the final frontier. Yeah, are they doing it again now? And you know, they've akin to Michael Bay, they've discovered the drone camera. 
Yes. And they are yes. having an absolute whale of a time for their own amusement, not for anyone else's. Um, it's, it's ambulance on a budget. Yes. Well, it's like five. This is what's crazy. Ambulance's budget's $40 million. This is 200 Huh. Yeah. Ambu- Honestly, if anyone's not seen Ambulance, I'm actually going to jump out. It's one of the best blockbusters this year. There's not been many, but you would not look at people a Michael Bay. People film. aren't talking about Ambulance for some reason. No. It just disappeared. $40 million it came, uh, the budget for that film. And uh, it, it was a weird time when everyone was suddenly praising Michael Bay and, and not to get uninvited to this channel again. But I don't mind Michael Bay. <laughs> I don't mind most of his Transformer films as well, if I'm being honest. Well, thanks, George. Thanks for stopping Sorry. by. Uh, we'll see you <laughs> next time. Um, no, I, I completely get what you mean. And... Uh, Let's keep it on like the nicer stuff. I do have some criticisms, and we'll we'll maybe segue to that in a second. But like, first of all, Anna de Armas is fantastic. Uh, everything she touches seems to turn to gold. She is a fantastic actor in her own right, as well as the action sequences. But she manages to pull off both uh, a character that has like an emotional depth to her and a vulnerability is there that uh, I think some other actors may not bring to the role. But she's also just kick-ass. Like, I, I want to see her do well in a film. And, you know, it's weird looking at... Maybe IMDb's not listed correctly, but she's getting top billing over Ryan Gosling. Oh, that'll be IMDb in the wrong. This is definitely Ryan Gosling top billing, um, for, for this one at least. That'd be... But maybe down the line, I think she's an actress that, as, as the years are going by, she will be soon in action films as well, uh, getting that yeah. top billing. And you get so many films these days where you know, like a, an A-list villain will come in and they'll they'll sideways another character. But and I don't she can really hold her in. I think because she can both act and do action, I think that's a very underappreciated asset of hers. Absolutely, and and let's not you know go out saying a uh, mention to Ryan Gosling. Who did fantastic? I, you know, I I love Blade Runner. Both films are two of my favorite films of all time. So seeing Ryan Gosling in anything is a treat for me. And there's also a, a cheeky little mention to him being a Ken doll in this film that I did laugh at. Um, for those who don't know, he's starring in the upcoming Barbie film as Ken. Uh, if you see his pictures online, he looks like a Ken doll these days. He's like he looks incredible, shredded and wearing pink. He looks great. I, I, I'm not jealous. I, yeah, well, I am jealous. Um, but yeah, Ryan Gosling is again a terrific choice to to lead this potentially you know new franchise. I'm I'm a big fan of Gosling, and, and in this film, I was really not just happy to see him back on the big screen. His last film was First Man, and and I wasn't a big fan of that. I know it's got its fans and. I had a kind of mixed reception. Uh, obviously, it's Chazelle's follow-up to La Land, but I don't want to say he's an underrated actor, but people underrate his sort of nuanced performances where, because he has this charisma from being that sort of quiet, lone protagonist in a lot of films he's in, it's not an easy thing for people to do. A lot of actors can't carry that swagger. They can try it, and it won't work, but every time Gosling does it, it just makes him so much cooler. I mean, he could literally have had his driver jacket on today and it would have just yeah. added to the film because you think, oh, I believe this. And in this, he's, he's got a really compelling character arc um, and we, we've got a young actress in this. Uh, I'm just going to bring up her name, Julia Butters, uh, who I think is phenomenal. Yeah. Now, if anyone hasn't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, she has a scene-stealing moment with none other than Leonardo DiCaprio, which is great to see her in another big film. I think she's in a couple of things coming up, but... 
just Gosling in this. I don't feel like we've seen him do many action films. Like, if you look at a lot of his stuff, they're inherently dramas. Now, I've not seen The Nice Guys, which has been on my shelf for years. Everyone I know loves it. That was the film I was going to point at, was The Nice Guys. Because his performance in The Nice Guys and this feel very similar, in the sense he's kind of this, like, underdog. Um, and, and, it, and you said earlier, it's hard to do when you're that handsome, is playing underdog, because you just don't believe it. But he has this strange magnetism that I think really aids him as, as your lead. And he's getting his ass kicked for most of this film. And you're not, you don't think it's, you don't think it's outrageous. It makes sense. And you're rooting for him. And he's very funny when he's doing it. You know, he's yeah. got these great moments and it's not trying to be a comedy, but I, I guess maybe it's a bit of the, their comedy background, the Bruce's. They know when to put a joke in, and it's never a wrong moment. It's never too much. They just sort of time it right, and it gets a reaction at people. At the same time, they can then yeah. you know, do an action set piece to, to move away from that. And Yeah, as you said, he, he, he gets beaten up a lot in this, and I know it sounds a bit insane, but it's, it's what you want from spy films. You know, As much as we love the perfect spy, we love a James Bond. One of the beauties of Bond is always seeing him, you know, get battered or have to get in a fight and then sort of work his way back into it from there. Well, isn't that the whole magic of Goldfinger? He spends, I think, one third of the film captured. Yeah. And yet people call it the best Bond film ever made. Um, I, no, I just, I think it, he's the kind of guy I would bet a future franchise on. And I think that was a, a wise decision. And yeah, you're right, he is funny. And I mean, there were genuine laughs in that room that we were in today. And that was a room full of grizzled critics who have seen every film and hate everything that is, you know, franchised because it's not, you know, the next insert big director here, Scorsese or something, you know. And yet this was getting massive laughs out of people and I, and I loved to see it. And in terms of uh, massive laughs, the other one I had is uh, Chris Evans and his fantastic mustache. He is, he was born to play a villain. He's unbelievable. I mean, yes, he's Captain America. He will always be Captain America. But what what I love is acts like himself, I'd say Hamelop there when he moved into voice acting. When an actor is so well known for playing a character, a lot of them really want to delve into, I want to mix things up. You know, I want to not change the career path, but Chris Evans in this, you can tell he's having the time of his life filming this and i'd be love to know if any of this is scripted if some of this is off the cuff because he had so much charisma he's one of the best dressed villains i've ever seen i'm just gonna say not just the yeah. mustache the mohawk he looks phenomenal in every scene he has like the right outfits and he he's just a well-dressed man yeah he's very well dressed and yeah i think he even has no socks on with his shoes combo for some of it and I think what it's the perfect villain. Precisely. And what works in the favour is because Gosling is, you know, the quieter character, you've got this complete opposite in Chris Evans. And when they it's not a spoiler to say, but when they first meet, their the conversation they have is just nailed to perfection because you as the audience know everything you need to know about these two individuals and what's gonna happen for the rest of the film. And and I think it's quite an estate quality from Chris Evans that we haven't not seen him play a villain enough because me and you spoke about this after I'd completely forgot about Knives Out and I was like, I was like I've not seen him do this since Scott Pilgrim. And you said Knives Out straight away and both those two films looks like he's absolutely loving life. Knives Out maybe a bit more 
also post Marvel, we can say, and, and this one too. Well, you know, he he's referred to as America's ass in the America, yeah, you know, in the in the Captain America films. But it turns out he's great at playing an ass too. Uh, I there's like he's dropping like Bond level one-liners in this film that you you I think the crowd whooped at one point in one of his one-liners. Everyone was laughing. There's like I I wrote like three down during the showing, and the one that like I think got the biggest laugh out of me was uh, he literally in complete earnest says the following sentence: "If you want to make an omelet, you got to kill some people." Yeah, and even with those one-liners, he's got a lot of physical jokes as well. And you mentioned Bond. I would jump on a pedal and say this: if this performance was in a Bond film, it would be a appears Brosnan Bond film, which is inherently better. Yep. And B, he'd go down as an iconic villain. I, I think, honestly, yep. when people see this film, they will all be talking about Chris Evans. Uh, and I think a lot of people will be wanting him to see, not see him in more things, because everyone enjoys seeing him, but we might be able to see him do more films like this, more roles like this, and you know, again, not to move away from Captain America and, and talk about Lightyear, but I didn't mind the Lightyear film. But the problem was it was Chris Evans being Captain America, but it's actually Buzz Lightyear this time. And it, oh, it, it's so nice a month later to be like, Lou, let's 180 away from that. And here's him, you know, in an action film. And I guess we can say as well, the Russo brothers, personally to me, I know there'd only been one one film, two films prior, if you include the Avengers, they reinvented Captain America with the Winter Soldier. And I think a lot of people, he became their favorite hero from, from their, you know, from that and Civil War. And I think him working with those two is an absolute gold goldmine. Uh, and I know their last film a bit unfairly me to, to sort of target Tom Holland, but you know they'd worked with Tom Holland, and I don't think that worked with Cherry with him. But with Chris Evans in this, whatever their next film's going to be, get him back in. F- find a way. If it's another uh, spy film, if it's an action, if it's a drama, they seem to know what they're doing with him, and, and I think it's a really good relationship they have. Is it is it in his contract that he has to have a mustache? Oh, that's the question. I wonder if he just turned up on set one day and they're like, you know what, we'll let you have it. I'm Captain America, damn it. I'm having a mustache. And then that's it, they can't question it so We know he can grow a great beard. So maybe he did, and they just started modelling it down, saying, hmm, what can we do with this? And they, they settled on the mustache, which I'm going to say, like, as a villain, look, it doesn't look like something we've seen before. I know it's a mustache and a mohawk, but you know, some villains just look like, ah, here's a stereotypical villain from this era or that era. It looks fresh. To, to what you know, what this film and potential franchise could be moving forward. Well, yeah, you just look at the uh, the average Bond villain; they've all got a scar. I, mean, I don't know what the Bond writers have got against people with scars, but uh, that's a, that's a whole other problem. Um, I I did just want to pivot over to a couple of dislikes that we both had, but before I do, this has got some really good action sequences too. We're talking about the performances and being fantastic, but also if you're not looking for that and you're just looking for a good action film, that's also here. The end sort of extraction set piece set around like a, a, a manor estate and a maze. It's fantastic. And it looks really good. Yeah. the I think what the Bruce Brewers know, they know how to do action. And no action set piece feels the same. Uh, I think it's like a typical rule of thumb, isn't it? I know people speak about Bond that for an action film, you want sort of three set pieces and it's to build, build a film around it. I feel like we have this in this and... The action's not just varied, but there's one set piece uh, which takes place in, in Croatia. I know a lot of the films across Europe, I think this is Croatia. And it's this this incredible set piece in, in a 
It's, there's a character attached to a bench. I'm just going to say that as the spoiler-free angle. And we get an incredible set piece, and then it, it moves around, you know, the, the city. And that could be a final act ba- moment, but it's not. It's 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 building into that. And I just after that scene was done, Tate, who was with us, just turned and looked at me. And I just nodded my head like we've just like witnessed some unbelievable action that felt it had the correct pacing, and it never felt so over the top. It didn't work. It felt like they knew what they were doing. They knew how to handle it. And it may have got over the top, but the balance of it, right, made it funny and at the same time being sort of pleasing. Yeah, pleasing and you feel safe almost in a sense. Like you know you're being directed well and, and the film has been put together well in front of you. The, and it, maybe this goes back to the sort of Chris Evans of it all as well. He feels comfortable to give this insane Bond villain performance because of his connection with the Russo brothers, because he feels safe in their direction. And I, 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 I'd not seen much of their work apart from like the community stuff and Arrested Development and all the films, like the Marvel films at least. But I just, I have to say, like I was, I was worried going into the screening today, as I sort of alluded to at the beginning. I've seen a lot of bad Netflix films recently, or just films that I feel like they've just thrown up there, like they've just, oh, we, we've got, you know, seventy-five million. Let's just make a Netflix film because we can and stick the rock in it because we could. Um, and I was, I had those fears uh, alleviated. Precisely the same here. I think, you know, it's kind of, I guess, unfair on on this film, but that says more about Netflix themselves, right? That you can't trust them to release a film because there's been, they've chosen quality, sorry, they've chosen quantity over quality. And... When you get there, ah, now it's our most expensive film ever because it's just the, the the last one was the most expensive film ever and it wasn't good. You just naturally have this worry. And I think the first opening sort of 15, 20 minutes, you know, I I was kind of relieved. And, there, you know, as we both said, there are some moments that don't work. There's one action set piece to me that doesn't work. But so much the rest of it does, that's at the back of my mind because I've still had an incredible time. If every action set piece didn't work yeah. and, and looked awful, then we'd probably have a completely different mindset on this film. But you know the action's great and the character's great, and I think it makes for a satisfying story too. Well, you you look at, um, and I, I want to pivot into a scene that we both didn't enjoy. I think we we spoke about it almost immediately afterwards that we didn't enjoy the scene, but I'll I'll give like a little proviso with it because we didn't. So there's a scene in the film, and this isn't a spoiler, but at one point your hero, uh, Court Gentry, which I don't think he's ever said in the name, but uh, Agent Six. Um, is falling out of an aeroplane without a parachute, more or less, um, because the aeroplane is you know, plummeting to the ground. But it's such shoddy CG work that it looks like... Um, what did you prefer to it as? It was like a, a, a Harry Potter apparition. Yeah, when, whenever they disapparate in Harry Potter and their bodies get mangled and they almost sort of stretch like cheese strings, uh, and then it's like, zip, mm. they're in a new location. It felt like that for five minutes. Um which that was rough yeah and I, I don't know if you saw uncharted early this year sorry tom holland i'm going for you again one of the the worst <laughs> bits of cgi i've seen in a long time is coming in hot there's a there's another airplane sequence if anyone wants to play the games when they're all the the crates fall out and they, they do something yeah. similar and, and it looks horrific and you know not to praise bond again but when you, when you go back to i think octopussy in the 80s has some of the plane stunts which is action. It's actors, it's stunts people. Living Daylights as well. You got that Yeah, there. Living Daylights, License to Kill's opening. 
it's and even modern day, you know, Nolan, of course, with not just Dunkirk, we've had Top Gun Maverick this year. I know we can't have a plane sequence in this respect and have actors in it whilst you sort of destroy it and, and blow up and whatnot. But it, it was so unpleasing on the eye. Uh, and it felt like I was watching a video game, which I was kind of yeah. worried at that point because that was one of the first major set pieces. But soon soon after, you know, it, within that sequence, there's a fantastic moment. There's a fantastic kill. And, you know, you get to the next scene and, and you get a bit of a follow-up from it. And I thought, okay... I also spotted some blow coffee standers from like 10 years ago. And I had this, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme. I don't know his name. Oh, yeah. I just remember he was off his standers when I was younger. Um, he's in it for like a scene. It's really random. Huh. There you go. I didn't spot anyone myself. Um, no, that, that parachute scene was pretty rough, admittedly. Like it, it, and there was a couple of bits of that uh, sequence with the bench you were talking about. Um, I can't believe where, I can't remember what you said it was. But... Uh, there's later in that sequence they are basically on top of a, a cable car like a some sort of a train it's or like something a like that it? and basically a tram thank you um and it just looks a bit a bit rough unfortunately uh which is strange when you told me that this was like a 200 million film i thought but you know maybe that is how they paid for people like anna diarmas and you know ryan Gosling. that's where the money went and 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 this is why i want to make this connection about this sequence is because you take Moonraker, for instance. Now that starts with a massive, you know, practical stunt of Bond and Jaws and some henchmen falling to the earth basically without parachutes, and it looks ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And especially when you watch it in like 4K, you know that's not Roger Moore or Richard Keel. You you know, but you're willing to forgive it because of all the sort of, yeah, you know, all all the the love you have for Bond, and by this point, I think the film has earned enough respect that you almost let it go. I I don't I don't I I'm not going to hold that scene over this film. No, um, I, I go to the you know, it's when you like it you can let it go, and I think that's the key here that because it is one of the earlier set pieces. You mentioned uh, some of the finale earlier and the location it takes place in. It does move to practical locations, which I think is a big thing for me. I know that. Action films have a habit of, of green screens and whatnot these days, but and there are moments of it in this, but primarily the action's all in frame, it's all in camera, and that's something the Russes, I think, did quite well in their Captain America films, is you can follow the action, and it's a really silly thing to say that action can be edited awfully, but so many films prioritise insane frequent editing to create action rather than actually choreograph and stage it, whereas in this, especially when you've got sort of hand-to-hand combat, you get to see it and take it in and it just adds to the impact of what the characters are going through and, and what they're having to do. And, you know, some of it leaves some great moments that I want to give a quick shout out to. Um, there's an actor in this who I believe is like an A-lister uh, Indian actor called Danush. I don't know his full name, but that's mm-hmm. his stage name. Yeah. Comes in, couple of scenes, fantastic, makes people laugh, great action. And then sort of disappears from the film, but that's his, there's an almost a one line in it. I think Chris Evans says, you know, this adds to your mystique. And it's just another funny, great line with it. And it's what the Russo brothers are good at doing. And I'm glad they're playing to their strengths. I know that they had one of the MMA fighters in one of the Captain America films. I've forgotten which one. And, you know, just use, go for it. Use it. And as you said, it's their most expensive film ever. And, you know, you do have some bad CGI. But I feel that we get to see a lot of that budget on screen. Maybe not all of it. But certainly where the locations and travelling goes, maybe it makes sense. That's why it's so expensive. Uh, that's why they do a lot of that. 
I remember seeing um, character posters for this film when they were doing some publicity for it, and it was Anna de Armas, uh, Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, Reggie Jean Page, and Danush. Uh, I To myself, I was like, why is Danush getting this? He's not even in top billing. But he actually has a really fun part of the film and gets quite a few laughs, so I'm all for it. I want to see more of Danush. Yeah, I mean, I, I sent a tweet out you know, the social and bag lifted and straight away I had somebody reply saying, Can you how was Danush in the film? And I was like, Oh, okay, I don't I haven't I said I hadn't read into it before, I hadn't read into it after that point. And I was like, the fact that I've been tweeted that on the spot means people are, are looking for this actor to see what he's done and I am gonna I will do my research after, but I'm assuming he's like an A lister, uh potentially in, in Bollywood yeah. and you know, it's great to see it and I know there's been one of the films this year which has made Bollywood massive over here. I think is it called Triple R or something like that. Um, or R R R, one of the two. I can't remember how, how it's said. Yeah, that's it. it. It's really interesting seeing these characters do that. And again, credit to the Russo brothers for doing it. They could have just had someone a stunt double do it, but they they bring in an actor that can do it, and it just adds to the film. Uh, and yeah, you know that's what you want from fun characters that stand out, but are not somehow overpowering. Yeah, and even it's a really this film is full of them. Yeah, even like minor characters, like when you've got sort of squads per se, bounty hunters, they've all got distinct looks which look fantastic, and it just adds to the moment that okay, we can see they're doing something else. We don't have a faceless CGI army, which a lot of films do do. It, it everything's sort of been designed from the ground up. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Calling all agents, independent podcasting much like the spy game, requires considerable resources, whether it's research, equipment, hosting, or of course constructing a top secret volcano lair, we're putting out the call for your support. That's right, as you may know, we've activated the Spy Hearts Patreon, home of our ever-growing lineup of Agents in the Field episodes where we decode non-spy films from your favorite spy actors and full film commentaries with more intel than a Basil Exposition briefing. Cam, what have we got in our crosshairs this month? Well, Scott, Barbara Carrera is all the rage on Spy Hearts these days, and so we are releasing our full-length commentary for Condor Man. Take flight, listeners. And if that sounds delicious, then become a true Spy Heart today and join the circus at patreon.com slash spyhearts. But... Before this message self-destructs, Cam, resume the spy jinx. Now, um, it is just another Thursday here. Well, technically Friday, I suppose, or whenever you're listening to this podcast. But we're just going to jump into spoilers now before we wrap up. So if you haven't watched the film yet and you don't want to have anything spoiled for you, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on the show. But... George. Spoilers. The only thing that I want to talk about in terms of spoilers is actually more about Jessica Henwick in terms of her character. I really do not like the ending of this film. No, uh, I'm with you on that. Jessica Henwick, I think, is a very underrated actress. Uh, I think she's... Mm-hmm. I remember she's been in Game of Thrones when she's younger. She's been in Star Wars and been unused in that. She's never really had the chance to shine. And I know the last Matrix film she was in, I thought she was great in it. In this film, I, again, I don't know she was in it, and she popped up. I was like, "Oh, Jessica Henwick's in this!" Like, okay, let's let's see what we get. And I was kind of really disappointed because she had nothing really to do until the end. And I know this is a spoiler, so I can say it, I absolutely I not hated the ending because we sort of have about three different endings, right? And, and that's what kind of annoys me with these films, where you know, I, 
they're not directly setting up future installments, but now we know it's a series of books. I'm curious to see, okay, are they going to do future installments? And I really didn't like Jessica Henwick's character arc ending because not that I need a character to do a noble thing, but it sort of resets itself where, aha, I've saved, you know, I've kind of saved you, but you're going to work for us now. And I'm kind of a villain too. I'm going to let everything we've just watched for two hours slide. And yeah, it's like a, it's like a weird heel turn. Yeah. You feel like the film is going to end. There's, uh, you know, end of the film more or less is in this uh, manly estate that we mentioned earlier, and there's like a hand-to-hand combat scene between Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. I think it's a really well staged uh, fight. Like it looks fantastic as well. It's like a sun setting. Oh, sorry, sunrise in the background. It looks like a really cinematic Bond type fight. It looks great. But then you know Jessica Ch- uh, Jessica Henwick, sorry, turns up and she's not a fighter. She uses a gun. But, you know, she basically says, oh, I'm in control now and kind of just removes all the tension for me at that point. And then you get some like clean up scenes with Reggie Jean Page, who I think really needed to have sort of his comeuppance. Yeah, I and that's what that's what I couldn't stand, because not that I looked at this film as a Bond audition. We didn't get to see him in any action set piece, which I was kind of good about. But again, it you know, I, he'll get his chance in something else, maybe. Um, especially if he's vying for Bond, that's something they all try and do is they try and get that action film so you can you know see what they're about. And in this, he's such a two-dimensional villain. I couldn't believe he's left alive. Now, again, it's a series of books. Maybe there's more to come, but I didn't like the dynamic that we've got such a forefront of being this terrible person. And not that he gets away with it, but it it's not satisfying for the film. It's not satisfying for anyone's character arcs, even himself. Mm-hmm. It's not satisfying to characters yeah. we've lost along the way. Billy Bob Thornton, who I think was excellent throughout the film. Yeah. Um and that's where I'm kind of a bit stung because until that five minutes, that sort of one scene and I know it's, there was a laugh when um, I always forget which Russo it is has the cameo when he's almost like head of the CIA. Um yeah. that had a laugh and it was this really weird dressing down scene and yeah, it didn't work for me that I, and it's like, oh, we've we've kept the girl hostage. Um, well, we know that Ryan Gosling's going to break out and see and save her, and that was a fantastic moment, I want to say. But yeah, eh, it, it's is it me? Was there something missing? It just you know the the whole in terms of the spoilers, at least the, the whole film is about Reggie Jean Page's character. He's like a CIA boss, and he's he's like the new uh, the new M as it were, basically. He doesn't like the old 007s. He wants his own type of agent in the field, as it were. And so he is trying to get rid of all of these agents, including our lead, Ryan Gosling. And he goes to uh, some very dangerous lengths, including hiring Chris Evans as Lloyd Hansen to take out uh, Court Gentry at number six. And obviously it doesn't work because he's our protagonist and he's he survives in the end but it it the film is like raising the stakes progressively about how much and how far he's willing to go to uh, take down this agent and instead of paying that off it takes the rug out from under itself and says oh no the jessica henwick character who throughout the film has been sort of that sort of audience surrogate who's saying oh no this is really bad we can't go this far this is too much turns around and goes oh, actually it was all me it's the whole like rip the mask off. Uh, it was me, Austin. <laughs> it was me all along. It was, it was like, oh, we all studied at Harvard together. Great. 
you know, that you've all done well for yourselves. And it, it's mm. little things like that that kind of lost me because I completely understand her killing Chris Evans. And she sort of makes that comment, so you know, oh, you know, you just macho men just having a fight because you can, uh, which I loved because, you know, they could have pulled the trigger and ended it 10 minutes earlier. But it, yeah, it, it doesn't feel. Her character, I never felt like it was going that way. I never had the sense that she was actually, you know, prying in the corner, waiting for her moment to strike. She, as you said, she's the audience. She's thinking this is going to go wrong. And if you think she's going to have an over the top death from Chris Evans, or she'll have that moral turnaround. And we, we don't really get the moral turnaround. It's just like, yeah, I'd... she'll be like the new leader of the team or something. And she'll, and she'll, or she'll take down Reggie Jean Page and be the hero of the bureaucrats. Yeah. And, and this one's us, but she's good at action, so why didn't we get any? And, and that's what I'm kind of, you know, it's such a petty thing for me to say, but there's so many, you know, you've got so many great action set pieces in this film, sequences with some unbelievable stunt work, and we kind of missing the opportunity for her to get involved, which I think was sword. Not that you need to have, you know, it's not a Bond trip, isn't it, where, you, you know, dying of a day, you know, let's have the two females fight, the hero and, and the villain one. I, I'm glad they didn't do that in this, but at the same time, it's like, could Jess Kenwick have got involved? You know, we see a dodge and RPG at point back range, which, you know, that happens. It's fine. Uh, everyone else gets wiped out. I do it all the time. Yeah, I mean, I've just got to say, when... Not that I felt like I was watching Call of Duty, but... And it's a really weird tangent, but... When they started getting out, like, RPGs, grenade launchers, everything... It, is it me, or is it really satisfying in a sort of psychotic way? Oh, I think that's baked into our generation. That we just love... Like playing video games where we can walk around with grenade launchers. I just it something about it just feels cathartic. I want to I want to destroy that building. Let's 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 fire a grenade launcher and at it. We get one of the sure. the best lines where Chris Hemsworth like, look look you're making me destroy a, a does he say a grade A building or something like does he he has like building architecture yeah. terms yeah you're making me no you're making me destroy a listed building or something <laughs> like that yeah oh, just... uh, but he has some great one lines like yeah I, I I got shot in the ass. He screams out at one point, which which gets a, a big laugh out of the cinema. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I suppose to, to sum it all up, then the out the the end of the film perhaps a bit of a letdown, but I don't think that detracts from the overall experience. I think it was just that that final hurdle they would have really stuck that landing if they got past that and given us a more satisfying conclusion. But other than that, I think I was quite happy with the uh, with the finished product. No, same here. It, it's going to be a film, I think, that I... I probably will see it again. And not that I'm going to bemoan Netflix again. It's great. It's on their service. I think this will be... You know, every time a new film comes out of there, they're like, ah, look, another one of our most record-breaking film views. And they don't have any statistics to back that data up. Or publicly given statistics. Because I believe Netflix is based their views off, like, 20 seconds of footage, which is ridiculous. Well, they're the perfect spies, if anything. You can't track them down. Yeah, and I think this is going to be a genuine one where if they turn and say this was our most viewed original film, I'll be like, I understand that. I see that. I think this is going to be a massive hit amongst people viewing at home, and I think I'll I'll get some of my relatives to probably watch it while living because I think they'll really enjoy it. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy yeah. this film, and you kind of nailed it. You know, the, the final hurdle might be missed, but that doesn't that doesn't detract from the quality of this film and your enjoyment from viewing it and i think that's no and it, it, it's weird because with covid we've not missed out on blockbusters for so long but so many terrible blockbusters were just sold to streaming services throughout and i'm kind of missing that again i brought michael bay earlier ambulance was a fantastic one ambulance felt like a breath of fresh air and i'm kind of the same with this i've missed these blockbusters that 
they haven't been designed to be perfect. They've been designed to be entertaining and to be action films. Maverick would be another one I'd point out. Yes, I mean, to me... I'll, that's just a fun time. Ma- Maverick, to me, is in a league of its own. That's why, that's why I didn't bring it up. But um, sure, it's, sure. it is one of those. And hey, Maverick's made over a billion at the box office. No one would have said that a few months ago. And it's really interesting seeing how audience is now responding to films. They're selectively going out to cinemas to watch films now as well. Uh, and it's just yeah. with, with Greyman, you know, I, I'm not going to see this at the cinema again. I'm grateful I got to see it on a big screen, but it, personally, it wouldn't be one I would venture out far to. If there was an indie cinema on my doorstep, I'd absolutely recommend it for people. Um, but to me, but if it was if it was getting a mainstream release, I think it would do well. Oh, I think it would do very well. I, and I think this is a not an unparalleled moment, but I'm trying to think. Last time I watched a film, and I sat there and thought, I think we've got a new franchise starting here. Because so many films... Successfully. successfully. Yes, yeah, successfully. Because so many films will come out and be like, hey, we're going to do a franchise and it doesn't happen. Whereas this one, I feel like they've left the door open. Probably said we'll see how it does. But I feel like this will be one where they say, yes, there's going to be a franchise. And I'll be like, I can't wait for the next one if they do one. Which I haven't said that in a, in a while. No, I completely agree with you. And you know, this film appeals to a certain demographic of people as well. Well, many demographics. I'm sure. I'm sure there's many quadrants it appeals to. But like, me and you are part of the community of people who like Bond films. You know, you know I, I talk about spy movies every week, um, and so maybe the later Daniel Craig things like that, people aren't so much a fan of sort of darker storytelling. But people like that sort of fun, light spy entertainment. It's been popular since the '60s, and so I think people will gravitate towards this type of thing because it's that sort of fun couple of hours fun that word comes back again fun you go in you have two hours just under i think of fun and then i I think that's it no i think you're banging on that and kind of with spy films as well as a whole i don't think anybody dislikes the genre of spy film i think it's such a broad term which kind of makes it fantastic when you get new ones and for one like this that delves into the action more so than espionage i think it is is a is a great fit addition because it, it is more like a a bond film than any others are and a lot of people some people before we're talking about is this going to be like jason bourne i wouldn't say it's bourne comparisons i'd go back to Pierce brosnan it feels like a brosnan bond film in 2022 which is a fantastic thing and you know without getting into the conversation of the future of james bond you know with films like this coming out there is audiences that are into stuff like this or audiences that absolutely love the craig films and myself included and it's very interesting to see what way you know the industry moves and as the industry moves away from a cinematic universe in which they all tried to make things only one successful, it's going to be very interesting to see, okay, how do we how do we follow on from this? How do we do we do a second one? Do we do a, a spin-off starring Anna DMS, not a Bond, for The Grey Man? And I'm curious to see what Netflix's plans will be because I think they're a, a bona fide hit and the Russos themselves, you know, we know they're not strangers to franchises. I think they'd stick around. If they can do their own franchise, I think they're 100% game for that. You say about you know cinematic universes. The only one I'm a big fan of is the MCU, and that is the mustache <laughs> cinematic universe. Uh, I will buy that box set. Don't you worry. But yeah, I think we're both agreed that this is a definite check out. If you have Netflix, or if you have a local cinema that's screening it, perhaps go and see it if you can. But definitely, if you've got Netflix and you've got a couple of hours in your hands and you like a spy movie, this is an absolute thumbs up from us. Hundred percent. 
Well, George, I want to thank you for stepping on for a very special declassified episode. Uh, you were far better than Cam has ever been. So congratulations. Um, I'm always in the, the sort of sort of shopping around for new hosts, uh, new co-hosts, because I really just can't stand the man. So um, should the should the hour never ever be and I need an emergency guest host, I will be giving you another call. Absolutely. I will be uh, awaiting that call like uh, like James Bond for M. Just just don't try and take out Cam to get that call. <laughs> no, no, no spy work here. It's a long journey. Maybe if I was to go there, like the Grey Man, it'd just say Canada in giant letters as I arrive Canada. in the country. Vancouver. <laughs> Somewhere in Vancouver. Um, but I mentioned Cinema Savvy over on YouTube, but you know, just for the people who haven't seen the channel before or haven't heard from you before, just what's a little bit about Cinema Savvy? Yeah, so we're a YouTube channel that primarily cover uh, new new film releases. We delve into a lot of TV at the moment with some great shows out, and we like to also look at back at old films. So we do retrospectives on franchises, on directors. We're currently just on the halfway point through a Steven Spielberg retrospective where Cameron's graciously joined us for two. And I know we'll be getting you both on for one in the future as well. And as I said, new releases. We were at the Grey Man screening today as well. Um... It's going to be a quiet summer blockbuster, which is a terrible way to advertise the channel. But we've had some massive release on the channel. So if you're a fan of film, if you're a fan of TV, check us out. We do live streams, we do discussions, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's it's just a fun, positive way to to look at the industry and, and what's coming out. So, yeah, join me and Tate over there. It's youtube.com slash cinema savvy. And are you on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, anything like that? Sorry, yes. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, cinema at uh, cinema underscore savvy. Sorry, I'm so used to plugging it on my own show. It's weird doing another one. I'm not going to lie. So cinema underscore savvy. Follow us on there. We're a lot more active on Twitter now than we used to be. Always asking questions, announcing what videos are going up. And, and like the Grey Man, you know, we're very fortunate to go to screeners sometimes. And when we're allowed to speak about this films, we do have them up on the channel. So there's a lot of other things coming out in the pipeline where we'll just announce it. It'll be up on the channel. And uh, we, we hope you get a chance to take a look at them and follow us on there. Perfect. Well, you know, uh, firstly, you know, thank you, George, for, for jumping on and doing this declassified episode with me. It's always hard to sort of do it without Cam. He's my safety net. But uh, you've been you've been uh, quite the safety net yourself. So thank you. In that sense, moving on from there, of course, we'll have links in the show notes below to everything cinema savvy. So you can check that out. Uh, the Grey Man is on Netflix now as of the release of this episode, so we definitely both recommend checking it out, and we will be doing a full episode on it down the road on Spy Hards. Next week on the show, we are actually tackling another recent film, 2022's The 355 from Jessica Chastain, uh, directed by Simon Kinberg. Um, that's with uh, Shayla, previous guest on the show. She's back next week as well quite the reunion and uh yeah so your mission should you choose to accept it is to watch the 355 if you have not and join us next week uh do not forget to follow us discreetly on social media at spyhards that's s-p-y-h-a-r-d-s on facebook twitter and instagram but until next week listeners can i chew gum in here 